they should have cut this out. <laughs> 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 Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. Well, it's all kicked off, maybe not in the way we expected it to, but kicked off it has. So far, France were more disappointing than Fruit Stripe Gum. England have been England, Italy have been Italy, and we've all decided to never, ever shake hands with Yogi Love. Here to talk about all of that is Paddy Higgs. Hello. Nico Durbin. Hi. And Danny Isroff. How are you doing? Very good. Um, has everybody been enjoying the Euro so far? Yeah, it's going to kill me by the end, I think. Too many late nights, too many beers, too much football. I'll be a single broken man by the end of this. We, we can but hope. Um, any fa- any favourite moments so far, Paddy? Uh, it's a little cliche, um, but I, I really like Payer's goal. Danny and I were talking about this just before. I think this this tournament has been a, a real workmanlike tournament. You know, there hasn't been a lot of really enjoyable football, to be honest. It's been very intriguing. I think for a part-time football fan, though, you wouldn't have got a lot out of it. Um, but every now and then, you know, these sort of individual, uh, I guess, acts have, have just lit up the tournament. And I thought Payo's goal was a really good way to start this off. And um, we've seen Modric as well and Wes Hands yesterday. Um, and those probably are the three, but I think Payo started us off and, and that's a nice way to do it. Nico, in your favourite moment so far? I have to say Schweinsteiger. <laughs> I think you're, to. you're obligated to as a yeah. German. Yeah. yeah. But it was, let's put it that way, personally it was the moment that made me the happiest sure. for him. And you could just see how a person that won Champions League and World Cup can be so happy to score mm. a, sec- a, a second goal, a 2-0 in the 93rd or whatever minute it was. Momentarily, he looked young again. It was, it was, I really, the whole goal, it was him bursting up the field like he was, you know, in his early 20s. It was great. Um, I am a bit surprised you went for Schweinsteiger. I thought you might have gone for the the David Guetta opening ceremony moment. (laughs) Ah, well. (laughs) (laughs) I notice you've even been tweeting UEFA about this. Yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't, they didn't get back to me. I'm really disappointed. (laughs) How odd. Um, Yeah, how, how odd, but how terrible it was. I'm sorry. I mean, like, he can make his music. It's That's fine. But that was just not good. What annoyed me most about it was how much he was enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. He's lo- he's loving being at the Euro. I mean, he's the star of the show. He certainly he's, thinks. He's, he's shouldn't, he be, shouldn't he be in Ibiza right now and, you know, playing in the clubs there? Well, you know, he's doing a service. He's he's a proud, national, a proud French man and he's doing a service for his country. He is where they need him to be. He's pressing play on an iPod. He's not doing much else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the other part I enjoyed most about his performance is that he was pretending to make. Well, quite clearly, all he was doing was pressing play or whatever, whatever it was. Okay, uh, Danny, your favourite moment so far? I'll tell you what, my favourite moment was when uh, Graziano Pelé smashed in the second goal for Italy and I just couldn't I, I was in a bar full of Italians actually and I couldn't stop laughing because the the whole thing it was just so gloriously Italian the whole game um, really I think that that's been my favorite game of, of the Euro so far I actually missed out on this last night because I was uh, eating some dinner and building some chairs uh, maybe you could give me a quick run through of the game because we all thought well some of us thought that that Belgium were going to be one of the favorites but they by all accounts, they they were terrible. Yeah, and all the talk sort of before the the tournament for Italy was on how weak the 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 squad was. Um, but in a way, people were were also you know, Paddy Paddy said it on air, I think, uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's still Italy, and that was really it was the most 
brilliantly Italian performance in and it's just amazing because all these players you know you consider them kind of average players who haven't really had great seasons a lot of them besides the 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 back three and the goalkeeper and when they put on an Italy shirt all of a sudden they all know where to be where everyone else is going and it's for me it's just amazing how you know, sort of the the knowledge of how to play football, how to win games, is is almost ingrained in them. It's it's Dan, it's Dan De Conte, isn't it? And how he's how he's, he's organized. I, I think it was a great advertisement for for how much of a difference managers and systems can make, especially yeah. in in tournaments. You know, we've seen sort of the decline of international football, and and uh, quite a few teams have come into this tournament without a plan, without a system, looking quite disjointed. And Italy, it was just perfect. Just perfect, and I think on the other side we saw uh, how how Vilmots, who, who in my opinion is a subpar manager, was able to take a talented Belgium team and make them look, you know, very very mediocre. Unable to get some booze from his own fans. Yeah, I don't think he's the most popular man in uh, Belgium at the moment. Wasn't it wasn't it a bit weird though how the Italian players celebrated after that match? No, I don't think so. I actually enjoyed that too. Uh, seeing seeing Buffon, you know, at, at 38 years of age, run down the field and jump onto the crossbar. I think it really, uh, playing for Italy really means a lot to these players and it means a lot to the fans and uh, I, I didn't mind that at all. This is one thing I've noticed. A lot of the players have been celebrating wildly after winning a group <laughs> yeah. game, like they're through to the next stage or something. Well, yeah. the, the thing is, with with uh, some of the third place teams going through, you are basically through oh, to the next true, stage yeah. after, after winning a group game. I also think that there was a lot written about the Italian squad and I think there was probably a bit of a, there was a real sense of, not relief, but, a, a, you know, like... They're a good team, you know. Mm -hmm. They showed that. We all had our doubts. Mm -hmm. I, I did especially, and but they, you know, as you said, they were spot on last night. I mean, it, it certainly helped them that Belgium had no rhythm and, and no sort of. It really didn't look like a team at all. Um, but but Italy were just just well drilled and ready to go. I I mean I like I like to see Buffon how happy he was and so on. You know, that's that's a, that's the scenes that you want to see in such a tournament. But they see, uh, seem so controlled on the pitch and so cool. So I was just, I was really surprised. I didn't expect them to be running around like little boys. A word about Belgium, anybody? Yeah, I, I kind of, not to say I told you so, but I, if you guys remember back to, to our preview podcast, I think I was saying, if, if, you, if you take the players and compare them to, to, to some of the top teams, they're just, they're, they're, they're you know, kind of not as good and, and definitely not in as good form. And, and we saw that yesterday, um, I, I think uh, Vilmots wastes uh, De Bruyne on the wing. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Fellaini. I think it would be a very different side if De Bruyne were, were playing where Fellaini is. Um, yeah, and the problems at the back. I mean, it's just for me, it's just not one of the top teams in the tournament. Well, I did back you up at the time. You I did. Wanna, I don't want to blow true. my own trumpet, but yeah. you know, I love when people too. say, "I don't, I don't want to say I told you so." Well, I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on to Germany. Where would you like to start with this, Nico? The failed Goethe experiment? Mm, well, that's no, that's no news, right? I mean, that experiment has failed before. Yeah, He scored important goals for us, yes, but Germany never played exceptionally with a false nine. Not with Goethe, at least. I mean, you know, Löw really tried to make this work during the World Cup as well, and then he was almost forced to bring Klose in, and that's when it worked for Germany. Yeah, yeah. And you have you have Özil, you have um, Goethe, you have Julian Traxler um, on the pitch, 
And Traxler and Götze were both not playing. And Özil was, I mean, that's that's his space, right? He's our number 10. There's no discussion about that. So I'm I'm curious if there's going to be a change. I don't think so. I would keep them both in, actually, because if they have that, that moment of, of genius that they all have in them, it's worth keeping them on the pitch. Is there an argument to be made that playing um, Draxler and Ozil together is uh, not quite right for the team in the sense that if you play somebody like Schürrle who's going to stick out wide a bit more not not kind of take up that space in the middle that Ozil can take that it would be better for Ozil and you know better for Germany yeah but then but then Germany is not as unpredictable uh, anymore like it's, I think the, the German match can uh, the German game can be really chaotic if they if they need to put pressure on the opponent with Müller Özil, Draxler, Götze, they can just completely switch positions and there's no left or right or center, I think. And that's when when we're when we have that we when we get to that stage and we have a Tony Kroos uh, as the quarterback behind them playing the passes that he started playing. I think one problem I had with Germany was that they, they I think we'll all agree, they didn't create enough chances for, for a German side. And I think they're going to struggle to to break teams down. For me, one of the weaknesses are, are the fullbacks in an attacking sense, actually. Because I think if you watched uh, Spain, who I actually thought that was the, the best performance I've seen um, so far in the Euros, uh, the, the way they attacked Czech Republic was so reliant on creating... Uh, numerical superiority with the with the fullbacks and Germany are kind of handicapped in my opinion uh, by fullbacks who can't really attack properly uh, and, and can't join in. I don't know if if you think it's worth exploring worth worth changing that a little. Well, bit. this is why I would play Schürrle because I think I don't think he's a better player than Draxler, but I think he gives Germany another option who can you know just a bit more width and it creates that space. And I think that Germany have the players that can find Draxler or that can find Schürrle on the wing. But the other thing is that you know putting in these crosses into the box there's no one in there for Germany yeah. like, so yeah. you know I mean it's well and good having fullbacks who can attack but if there's no one there to finish it off well that's the other thing that's the other thing that I would add on to it is that I wouldn't play Goethe as the false nine I'd yeah, drop sure. him to the bench and bring yeah. Gomez in yeah. I just find Goethe this really frustrating player I know it's all in there I know he's great I know he can do it he just doesn't do it often enough. Yeah, no, agreed. I think, to be honest, most German fans are, are the same. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I love Mario Gomez. Like I've been a fan of him from day one. Right? <laughs> On more than one level, I would say. And, and he scores his goals. But I just feel like the German team is not as compact when he's on Correct. the pitch. Like, it's Correct. too pyramidical. Like it just goes all to the middle center where Gomez is standing. And, and that's not how we play. Should Muller not be the false nine? I mean, is that perhaps the the best? It's another option. Yeah. Yeah. Müller doesn't have a position. Yeah, he doesn't play but, a position. Yeah, I think he's been effective, sort of historically, for for Germany and at club level, coming in from a wider position yeah. and sort of drifting in as opposed to being the main. You don't think he's a bit part. wasted out on the right? No, nominally I, I, on the right. I yeah, think. I, I, but I think his job isn't to play sort of traditionally as a, a, a right sided player. He's he's basically wise in the team is to score goals and create havoc in the box, and I think he can do that effectively from from that position. Okay, let's have a word about the glorious return of Bastian Schweinsteiger. The myself, yourself, Paddy and Nika, we all watched this match together in a sort of hipster pop up public viewing uh, <laughs> somewhere in uh, somewhere in Southeast Berlin, and the. 
basically the explosion of joy upon Schweinsteiger scoring was just incredible. Yeah, that was like scripted. That was really, really... Was it comparable to the explosion of joy on Nico's face when that guy went in the show? It was comparable to the explosion of relief from the couch in front of Nico, which had taken a bit of a battering due to his nervousness. I, I don't want to say uh, I told you, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Keep Mesut Özil on, he will score, he will, he uh, will give an assist. I actually thought that as well. Uh, quite a few players would have messed up that pass and Özil just put it on a silver platter, yeah. you know, gift wrapped and everything. Beautiful. Do we think Schweinsteiger will start the next game or he's probably not fit enough? I don't know for whom. Like, there's no space. Yeah. I Post want nine. him to. Post yeah, Post yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, he scored more than Götze already, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but I think he's a good player to be able to have on the bench and, and you're oh, winning absolutely. a game, you can bring him on with to, with all his experience to uh, to kind of control things and, and close Abs- up shop. Absolutely. I think that's not, a good role for him at this point. Not not many teams can, can uh, bring a passionate Bastian Schweinsteiger on the pitch in the 70th minute and that's a really good joker to have and that's actually one of the only really good jokers and players that we can bring from the bench, I feel like, at the moment. Everything else is kind of a gamble, and we don't really know how um, right. that would work. Next up is Poland. They obviously defeated Germany in the qualification process, so Germany would be slightly worried about them, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's the Euros, and um, every, every game is a really hard game to play. And um, like we said before, Germany has to create more chances. Um they have to be a bit more goal oriented and and look look for more. They have to look for more finishes. Are you worried right. about the the threat that Milik and Lewandowski caused to the Germany defense, which, uh, despite Boateng and Neuer's heroics, looked a bit shaky at times. See, I don't think that our um, defense will ever be um, the sort of Italian defense that doesn't allow any other chances, right? Our game is and always has been in the last year's tournaments quite open in the back. Um, so <laughs> I'm not too worried, but because I know that everybody who is responsible makes an exceptional job. And Yogi Lewis has control over his team. It's his third tournament with more or less the same core uh, or even fourth. So we're going to win. It's going to be tough. It's going to be one goal difference, I would say. A 1-0 or a 2-1, something like that. If only Yogi Love had control over his hands. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to talk about this? Well, <sighs> it's going to be a running joke throughout the tournament. <laughs> let's, be let's, get it, let's get it out of the way. Yeah. Let's get, okay, let's, the, I, what I would say is that I've watched it a few times <laughs> now, simply because it's been everywhere. E- everywhere. And oh, it, you, you it genuinely makes me feel ill. Yeah. Like, what's he doing? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He's got priors too, you know. He, he obviously, very obviously, picked his nose a couple of years ago <laughs> oh, as well yeah. and ate that. Have you not seen that? No, I haven't oh, seen it's, that oh, one either. Great watching. Um, so he he should know. Someone's got to pull him aside and say, "Mate, the cameras are on." Well, the yeah. the argument for this is that in in Love's favor is that he's so into the game and he's so concentrating, doesn't even realize what but he's doing w- or that qu- he's on my, camera. My main question is like everyone sort of goes for a little touch down there every once in a while. What was the sniff for? Yeah. Just, what was it? <laughs> Why? Just, just what does the, that have to do with concentrating yeah, on the game? Surely just for the people who maybe the one person on the planet who hasn't seen this footage, you might need to actually explain what took place. I don't know if I could do it justice. Yeah. So he looked to relocate his hands 
into the nether regions of his trousers. Rummaging, wasn't he? He was rummaging, rummaging yeah, 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 yeah. Like just, an old man in a closet. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then he put his hand to his nose. Yeah. And since then, I felt violently ill. <laughs> and he thought he was being so sneaky, didn't he? He's like, oh, nobody saw this. <laughs> a couple of seconds have passed. Don't worry, it's still gold. Yeah. What myself and, <laughs> <laughs> what myself and my girlfriend were, worrying about, or were wondering about last night was whether... You know, if he knew, like, what would his family say to him, or what would the players say? That's to him? what I'm saying. Yeah. Why doesn't he? Even his assistant just say, "Yogi, just just put him in your pocket or something like that." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of surprised that the UEFA showed that footage. You know, we, we have a discussion in Germany right now. Um, public TV is claiming that UEFA is not showing the right footage, the right video footage, and so on. They should have cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Danny, you've had a few days to think about France and their performance in the opening game. We sort of talked about it, touched upon it a little bit earlier. Has it got any better in your mind now that you've had a few days to think about it? Uh, no, I think, I mean, the initial reaction was obviously one of elation at the the, the three points and the, 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 the goal that won it, the Payet goal. Um But I, I think after that, there's been um, kind of a little bit of concern, a little bit of criticism of some of the individual performances, um, whether they have the right formula, uh, lots of question marks around the defense and, and especially the, the fullbacks, um, who, who you would have thought were less concerning than the center backs going into the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how they, how they can rebound in a way against uh, Albania. I thought Sanya was okay. Um, Evra would be a worry for me. He looked, he looked off the pace. Yeah, I thought they were both concerning. Um, and if you think about it, they're both kind of older players who've played a lot of games this year. Uh, and the, the, the worrying thing for me, if you're France, is there's really nothing you can do about it because the replacements uh, in the squad are, let's say, less than, less than stellar. What would worry me, uh, maybe this will get better as the tournament goes on, is how the big players, the Pogbas, the Griezmanns, how they underperformed, whereas the slightly lesser known Payets or Cantes stepped up to the plate and really performed. Sure, and that was really, I think, the big talking point in the, in the French press in the days that followed. Uh, and I think in, in lots of ways, the pressure kind of got to them, to, to Pogba and Griezmann in, in particular, uh, who are, you know, great players amongst the you know world class players but have limited experience in these uh, in in these big tournaments in these situations and playing at home playing at the uh, at the stade de france i think pogba in particular he it almost looked like he was trying to do too much at times like he sort of has his eye already on the on the golden ball um, and he wants to make it his tournament he just has to relax a little bit uh, and and play his natural game and actually the interesting thing i was reading very late last night is uh, Deschamps uh, apparently is considering uh, uh, putting both one of or both of uh, Pogba and Griezmann on the bench against Albania. I think one factor would be to rest them ahead of ahead of Switzerland, which will be the more important game. And another thing might be just to take them sort of out of the firing line a little bit uh, and give them a bit of, of, of breathing space. What about Olivier Giroud? Eight goals in his last six starts and yet the haters keep on hating. Yeah, it's, I mean, haters, haters going to hate, right? Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's really impressive and, and I think in lots of ways... He's terrible. Uh, I, I, <laughs> he keeps scoring, but he's terrible. I no, don't but, get it. But I, 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 I wrote an article about it actually for, the, for, for the, the French users. I think in a lot of ways he's a very good striker for, for this team. 
Um, he has kind of the attributes that the other players don't have. And when stuff isn't working, you can just throw a ball into the box and see if he can get his head on it. Um, and, yeah, for, for very few... I mean, he obviously missed, missed one or two chances, but otherwise, he, I think he did his job. It wouldn't be Giroud if he didn't miss a couple. True, yeah. true, true. <laughs> Um, given that he's already considering dropping Pogba and or Griezmann, it would suggest that they're not too concerned about Albania. No, I don't think they are. I mean, you have to remember Albania are uh, missing their, their captain and, you know, sort of their only very well-known player, Lorik Sana. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think they're expecting too much of a test. The real group decider will be probably against uh, Switzerland. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Joining us on the line to talk about England's opening match of the Euros is One Football's man on the ground in France, Dominic Favada. Dominic, you were in Marseille for all the off-field action. How was it down there? Yes, as we all saw, boys, the uh, the violence that preceded the game in the 48 to 72 hours uh, before kickoff sort of tainted affairs in Marseille, and then we saw what happened after the game where. After the other uh, one all draw result, we saw the Russian fans pretty much storm the English area or the English active area, tearing down their, their banners and flags and pretty much running amok. And it was, from what we could see in the press gallery, is literally the England English fans just fleeing fleeing the area from and running and, and jumping barriers just to get out of any, any means possible. So the next day was uh, peaceful and quiet in Marseille, but UA uh, for issued out warnings to, to both teams, but like I say, we don't see uh, any more violence. What was what was the scale of the violence? Was it just confined to a small part of the city, or was it a bit more widespread than that? It's, it's kind of very hard to gauge just, you know, from, from here yeah. how bad it was. From what I heard and from what I saw, it was just constrained to the, the old port area, which is sort of in the main tourist hub where um, everyone, all the tourists would, would have gone down there just to have a view of the port, and it's quite an open area as well, which uh, made the violence probably a lot more obvious and a lot more prevalent. But I know that some violence happened in the back streets in Marseille where the police were nowhere to be seen, and that's an entirely different different story from what I was hearing from English fans, saying that perhaps the police um, were provoking the English fans and there were local dealings with the local gangs to um, sort of instigate violence to get them to to come in and pretty much uh, create a ruckus out of nothing. And what about the violence in the stadium? I mean, you were in the stadium for it. I mean, how scary was it? Yeah, it was quite bizarre. After like, we didn't expect anything to happen after the game, um, given the the one all result. And from what we, what we could see, everyone was uh, panicking and standing up straight away to, to view the uh, the Russian English area. And it was just pretty scary stuff with the English fans. You could see there was genuine fear uh, running away from these Russian ultras who have got this insane uh, Balkan passion for football that, that you've probably seen with the Polish fans and the Croatian fans and the like as well, and the Ukrainians. It's a unique uh, unique passion for football that probably um, overstretches the mark on quite a few occasions. And what we could see from the press gallery was the English fans uh, jumping the barriers to get onto the... Uh, Onto pretty much onto the stadium, on the stadium deck, and the police were helping them to, to get out and well, literally pulling them out. So it's quite scary stuff. We've all been in football stadiums before, right? And and usually those fan groups are separated. If it's not the main stand, they're separated. There are fences. There's security. Like I, I don't know how to imagine um, the Russians just being able to to you know 
initiate another fight in the stadium. How can that happen? Yeah. Well, they were separated, you're right. But what happened on, on tw two occasions was, one, the Russians jumped the barriers to uh, to get past the security guards and, and get into the English area. And two, they went out through the aisles and went through a different aisle to come back into the English area. So they were quite uh, cunning and, and mischievous about it. So, yes, they were separated, but the Russians uh, found and ways to get into the English area. And was there no police presence in the stadium or in these areas? There was. During the match, there was. But from what I could see, they as soon as the full-time whistle went, they, they sort of left their posts. And then once the, the violence started, they all came back in a hurry, which was quite bizarre to see. So I'm not sure what happened there for the breakdown of communication, but the, the, towards the end of the violence, there was a wall between the of, of security guards and police between the two sets of fans. But that wall was non-existent when it when it first kicked off. Uh, and um, in the midst of all this, there was actually some football played too. Um, did, uh, yes. did <laughs> you sort of forget about all that? Um, how did you? How did you? What did you think of England's performance? Did anybody come out of it with any credit at all? Uh, it probably was a typically England English performance. They dominated the first half. Obviously, they've been three or four up at the break. Um, the Russians didn't offer anything in the first half. They had one shot the entire first half. They gained some ascendancy in the second half of a bit, little bit, bit more urgency going forward. But again, they didn't really threaten all that much. And then Eric Dyer for the scoring uh, for a much-deserved English opener. Um, it was quite bizarre to see him taking the free kick, which none of us in the, uh, the press gallery knew that um, he had any uh, practice taking free kicks. We all thought that Harry Kane or Wayne Rooney would step up, but he ended up knocking it home, which is a great strike. And the Russians with a late sucker punch. So it was, it's quite difficult to make out. Uh, there's probably more questions than answers for England, but thought the performance of Wayne Rooney in midfield was, was an assured selection. He vindicated um, his selection as he was rightly questioned in the media as whether Hodgson was just trying to fit him in or whether he actually had a, a decent place in the team. Harry Kane was underwhelming, but he'll only, only improve. Um, he was on corner duty, which is quite bizarre as well. So, I think it's plenty of improvement for England. Not so, not so sure about Russia, who didn't really play a much daring football. You were talking to Kane and Dyer after the match, and they said they were well. They were pretty much on message, saying they were, you know, there were positives to take from the game. Did you believe them, or do you think they were just, you know, doing some PR speak? Um, probably a bit of both. Like definitely, the first half was one of the more more significant English performances I've seen, and including the Germany game as well. The first half was, was very good by England, and that's what um, Eric Dyer made mention of. But <clears throat> at this level, you have to play a consistent 90 minutes, and just playing a first half and saying that was the you know the best first half in English colours doesn't mean that it doesn't go anywhere to get you a three points. So, and Kane was, was very much the same in what he was saying, more positives than negatives, but... You know, you've got to take all three points against a nation you're expected to defeat and giving you dominance in the first half and, and for periods of the second half that those three points should have been secured. Um, next up is Wales. You must be pretty excited about that one. Yeah, as are the, as are the English boys, uh, Eric Dyer and Harry Kane post-match. So we're looking forward to the, the clash against Wales. I think it's on Thursday night in Lons and I'll be heading up to Lons, uh, the small little uh, Lons stadium, which only holds about 30,000. So... It should be a unique boutique atmosphere. Uh, Gareth Bale has sort of thrown, thrown wood into the fire, so to speak, um, by coming out and claiming that Welsh fans are 
more passionate than the English fans. So it should be a great clash, a mini uh, English derby, if you like, within the tournament. Where do you see it being won and lost? Uh, I think in midfield, as as most games are. I think Aaron Ramsey and, and Gareth Bale will be the key once again. I think they've scored all, all of Wales, all Wales' goals of the past two years, um, apart from Robson Cardo's goal against Slovakia. So uh, if you shut down those two players, I think England will go a long way to winning the game. But again, all the pressure will be on England coming to this game because Wales topped the group. England need to win to keep the you know the hopes of the knockout stages alive. So. I think Wales can play a relatively stress-free counter-attacking uh, football that might frustrate England. So I'm giving Wales every chance to, to get the three points or at least get a draw here. That was Dominic Favada, one football's man on the ground in France. As he referred to there, Harry Kane was taking corners for England. Yeah, can shocking. somebody explain this to me? I don't get it. No, I can't explain it. Um, but it, it reminds me so much of uh, Van Gaal and Phil Jones taking corners at Man United. <laughs> it's just so so random and unnecessary. And I just don't understand why you'd ever want your number nine out there taking corner blows. He's not even mind. a good corner taker. He's terrible. No, that's the thing. Yeah, And he's a good header of the ball, so why? Maybe maybe it's just, you know, I, I was thinking about it with this dire free kick. I mean, with Kane taking every set piece, um, everyone expected him to take that free kick too. And then Dyer stood up and, and took it. So it was all part of Roy's plan. Don't worry Dyer, about it. Yeah. Dyer's father is a ex-tennis player. And for his 40th birthday, his wife got him a set of goals. And him and Dyer Jr. used to practice free kicks at their back garden. Every, That's, every now professional football player did something like that. With his dad, <laughs> no? yeah. And non-professional. True. And non-professional. But that's where it that's where Eric Dyer's prowess at set pieces comes from. Who knew? Was it defendable? Uh, yeah. He has made a good goalkeeping tournament so far. Yeah. Um, Joe Hart. Yeah. See the Joe wall, Hart for further details. The wall was bad. The yeah. wall was terrible. It crumbled. It's yeah. funny because uh, some other Russian walls are pretty, yeah. pretty sturdy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do we, do, we cut, <laughs> do we cut that or do we allow? No, I think we'll, yeah. let, that, we'll let that. Overruled. Out. <laughs> Overruled, yeah, yeah. We are in Berlin. Um, did anybody, let's have a chat, quick chat about Wales. They were brilliant during the week. Yeah, I think at the risk of sounding cliche, they really showed a lot of determination mm. and a lot of they almost willed themselves to, and especially Robson Kanu miss hit the ball into the, the corner. Yeah. They, they really they almost willed themselves into into a, a, a victory, and they all just seem so excited to be there yeah. and and to have the opportunity. And and they're in a good position now to go through to the knockout stages. Uh, we were talking about favourite moments earlier. I forgot to throw in my favourite moment was the Wales national anthem before the game. Mm. Yeah, it's always a belter, but that was a particularly rousing performance. One of the good ones, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all from us today. Go to iTunes, download the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and while you're there, you should probably download One Football too. It's pretty good. Uh, you can also get in touch with us via SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook at One Football. Thanks for listening. Yeah.